one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Well, little did we think a few years ago that a, a man who proved the bane in Munster's life in their quest for the Holy Grail and trying to win their first ever Heineken Cup would somehow end up in charge of the very forwards that he was helping to overturn all those years ago. Uh, Graham, we're delighted to have you here on the Irish Examiner's uh, one-on-one podcast. Uh, thrilled that you've uh, been available to join up with us on the eve of a Pro 14 final and obviously uh, a huge Champions Cup game coming down the line as well. But um, before we get into that, I just want to go back and just maybe talk about your own career. I mean, your playing stats are, are incredible, really. 16 years with Leicester Tigers, 54 England caps, two Lions tours, two World Cups. Um, but it's that that period, if you like, with uh, Leicester. Um, like you go back between 1999 and 2002, four Premiership titles in a row, two Heineken Cups, uh, one, as we know, to Munster's expense in a, a famous day in Cardiff. Like, really, you were, you were the Saracens team uh, of, of your era, but so much so different to Saracens in so many ways. I mean, what was it like playing for Leicester and that particular group? I'm glad you said so different to Saracens. We didn't, we didn't base ourselves on the Saracens. That wasn't the plot to be referred to as the Saracens of a day. I was lucky. I was, um, I was a humble foot soldier for some greats in the game. I was very fortunate that I joined Leicester as a kid. I played in the academy with Martin Johnson, the like around 92. Suddenly we had this young team and that team kind of stayed together for 15 years. And uh, we never had it our own way all the time, but you know, the crescendo was winning our first European cup in 2001. We had some bumps along the road. We lost famously in the European Cup final in Cardiff in 1997 against Brief. Um, and that was, uh, that was a big lesson to us because we were the firm favourites to win that game. And we lost. And we'd lost within 20 minutes of the game starting. We were well beaten and we couldn't believe it. We were shell-shocked. So then uh, between then and 2001, the plan was to win it again. And along the way, we picked up some premiership titles. But um, I'd say the team really evolved over a long time. And I, I just count myself lucky. I, I was lucky I got pulled along with some great players. And I mean that. 
and that meant as well I got pulled along I got some England caps on the way as well Yeah well I doubt if you could get pulled along for 54 England caps whatever about maybe 4 or 5 but uh, but you look at that pack I mean of the time I was just looking back you obviously you had the likes of yourself Dorian West uh, uh, Martin Johnson Ben Kay Lewis Moody Martin Corrie and uh, Neil Back seven Lions mm. uh, your great friend uh, Darren Garforth of course who uh uh, C in the famous ABC club, never played for the Lions, but uh, an incredible character. Uh, I've always, he's, he, he always reminded me of one of those old school props, kind of small and dumpy, uh, just lives for scrummaging. Uh, but that, that kind of ABC club, of course, was Richard Cockrell, yourself and Garforth. I mean, you sort of carved out your own little niche in the premiership in England and abroad as you kind of progressed through Europe. We were thrown together in 92, the amateur era. We went professional in 96. So I was, I was an insurance broker. Richard was an antiques restorer. He's, he's a chippy, really. He re- referred to himself as an antiques restorer. And Darren was a scaffolder. So it's three very different occupations. And we got thrown together. And behind us, we had Martin Johnson, Matt Paul, Neil Back, John Wells, um, Dean Richards. A meaty pack. It was a wild west back then. You know, you played in that era. And what happened in the scrums, and we quickly got a reputation as being a tough pack. We stayed together for a long time. I'd say longer than any other team could now, any other pack could in the modern game. But it all started with the ABC. Darren, I'm glad you men- mentioned Darren. Darren was the least capped amongst the ABC club, myself, Richard and him. He, he, I think he got uh, 25 caps. But he set the tone for the club. was it Martin Johnson wasn't Dean, wasn't Neil back. Darren Garforth set the tone as to how we trained. And he's the toughest bloke I've ever trained with. Um, one of the greatest, warm, he's a warm character. Oh, he just, he'd walk in the training centre, he knew the chef's name, he knew the groundsman's name, he'd say hello to everyone. Everyone wanted to be with him. He was at the back of the bus after a game drinking, we were trying to keep up with the bugger. But if there's any, any, any bother in the game, he'd sort it out. And he set the tone and training and the, and the standards. And we all got pulled along by him. I'm glad you mentioned him. He did seem to be one of these infectious characters, um, you know, even off the field, even though you, you didn't know him. You just see there was this little bit of magic around him. But you talk about, I mean, there were tough times. I mean, but I see what fellas get yellow cards for now. Hmm. Jeez, I end up scratching my head. But, uh, you know, though, you had this reputation, whether you just put it out there yourselves or whether it actually happened. That they, this Tuesday training session in Leicester, where literally you used to beat the shite out of each other and then dust yourselves off and, and go on to the game on Saturday. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff, almost the myth that generated around the Leicester training ground, had half the teams beaten before they ever arrived in Welford Road. Well, that was the plan. That was the plan. <laughs> it was a, a simple formula. If we trained harder than everyone else, and that wasn't just the rugby side of it, but fitness, we were a fit team as well. I remember having some vicious sessions on a Monday afternoon on the rowing machine and outside on the, on, on the park doing fitness. We wanted to train harder than anyone in our minds, but then on the field, if we thought if we were more physical with each other, Saturday would come easier. And, and it meant wherever we went, we had a real pride of winning on the road. Crikey, defensively, if we conceded one try a month, there'd be a, an emergency meeting. But no, I'd, I'd say... That it, it, was a, it was true, those sessions were intense. We went through a period where 
There was no second team games. There was no A-League games for a long time. I can't remember for what reason. So we had all these young upstarts at training <laughs> wanting our positions. And Tuesday morning, it was basically, we'd end up, we would do it all morning, but we'd, we'd spend a good time doing the core aspects of the game, as you would respect, around scrum, more, a breakdown. But we'd, we were probably one of the first teams to, we had a guy called Phil Larder, who came from Rugby League, who England employed in 97, and he, they led him to us for a season on a Tuesday morning. And they employed these, this Rugby League defensive system. So we, we had that. And we'd always end the morning doing that. And we kicked lumps out of each other. But we always had these young upstarts um, trying to get our shirts of us. And that, that would be their game. That would be their game of the week. Mm. They had nothing at the weekend. Their game was a Tuesday morning. Mm. And Dean, Dean Richards, he never told us this. He didn't tell us till the end of the season. He'd go in regularly on a Tuesday morning and make up stories. And he'd go into the young lads' room because we had very much a hierarchy, a senior dressing room and a, the youngsters' dressing room. And you weren't allowed in a senior dressing room until you had like 50 games or something. He'd go into the youngsters' dressing room on a Tuesday morning and wind them up, tell them stories, said we'd been slagging them off, call, calling them soft and whatever. So they'd come out. <laughs> they'd come out on a Tuesday morning. But no, it wasn't a myth. It certainly, it worked for us. Yeah, so I mean that was uh, that was the Leicester Academy then. The young fellas just had to get in there and, and stand yeah. and fight against the, the established internationals. Then. How bad do you think? You know, maybe uh, it worked for you anyway. It, it, uh, it, it, it certainly worked for us. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot being said about training and, and such. We we didn't we didn't do it for long. We do it for a few minutes every week, but certainly. It certainly gave us that confidence. We would go anywhere on the road. We'd be, we'd be loving, looking forward to going to Gloucester away. You played at Gloucester, no doubt. The shed there, the famous shed, the intimidation there. We would love nothing more than to go there mm. for a fight. Mm. Well, it's funny you mentioned there. One of my Munster didn't play against a lot of uh, English clubs in the amateur days, but Gloucester was one. And uh, I remember playing for Munster, beating Gloucester in Gloucester, and it was. Mm. One of those special days, uh, a Wednesday night, it was absolutely packed. So uh, I know where you're coming from. Mm. Uh, in terms then, if you like, you'd won the Premiership, uh, you know, three or four times. Europe was obviously kind of nagging at you in the background. And, mm. you know, I've spoken to a lot of Leicester players over the years. And they all seem to focus on that that first win, that final against Stade Francais in Paris. I think it was 34-30. Um, mm. a, a fantastic game. Uh, if memory serves me right, the heat was was a really mass, very hot day. Went to the wire. Um, what's so special about that? Is it because it was the first Heineken Cup or the what? It's it was the first one. We had this monkey on our back from '97 losing to Brief in the final at the old Cardiff Arms Park, and um, we just couldn't advance. We had to win. The, the club became obsessed, a bit like Munster now. It's obsessed with Europe. Europe is the holy grail to us now, and it was to Leicester then. And we got, became obsessed, and we had a cracking season in 2000, 2001. And we won, we won the Premiership. And I remember it was the third season in a row we'd won the Premiership in the May. And in 2001, to try and give everyone else a chance in their minds, and I don't mean that big heavily, they brought off a playoff system where we had a playoff system to win the, uh, the Premiership back then. We won that as well. So we, we finished top of the pile and we, we won the playoff system. Then a the week after, we were playing, crikey, 
we're playing Stade Francais in a neutral venue, which is a Parc de France, which, <laughs> That's right. as you know, it's 200 yards away from the Stade Francais yeah, yeah. homestead in Jean Bourg. And I'll, I'll never forget the atmosphere. It, this, the pressure was massive on us. And um, I remember going out for a warm-up. We lasted about eight minutes. We were just getting booed and whistled and jeered by the French fans. There was a small pocket of Leicester fans in, the, in one corner of the stadium, but it was mainly French fans. They thought they'd won it, the Stade Francais. I remember we, you line up and you walk out together and, and the European music plays, that famous European music plays. And we, we're stood there in the tunnel. We're waiting for Stade Francais to come out. And they're not coming. They're keeping us waiting. They're not coming. We, we all say to Jono, Martin Johnson, come on, let's go. So we run out. We run out left and we're waiting for them to come out. And they're not coming. They're still not coming. Eventually, they walk out and they send their front row out first. And they don't start walking to their end of the field. They start walking towards our end, like this swagger. So we see that. We start walking towards them, thinking, right, we're going to have a punch up here before the game. <laughs> and there's, a, there's a famous picture in hospitality at the Tigers of a, a, an end-on view from the other end. You've got, you see all of us looking and starting to walk towards them, growling. And the referee, Dave McHugh, he had to stop a fight before the game had started. <laughs> but that kind of signifies how intense the game was. Um, we had Martin in the sin bin. We were digging in, digging in, hanging on in there, scored a couple of good tries. We won it in the last few minutes. And I, as a player, you're looking at the clock constantly. Looking at the clock. Right, me as a player, how long have I got to dig in for? How long have I got to last? The Stade Francais fans have put a flag over the clock. We had no idea. <laughs> we had no idea how long we were playing for. And we, we won. And that was, still is one of my special memories, most special memories in, in rugby. Yeah, well, you, you do realise that it was the first time this sort of monster Leicester uh, uh, if you like uh, empathy for each other because Munster had been beaten by Stade Francais in the semi-final in Lille 16-15 and you had a famous John O'Neill try that was disallowed whereas if you had a, a TMO now it would definitely have been uh, gone ahead so Munster were absolutely livid the fact that you know they lost that game unfairly mm. so I mean I don't think there was ever as much support for an English team from an Irish province in a final of Europe I, don't blame uh, I think everybody was just so happy. I mean, it was incredible. Of course, the following year then, you think you'd have enough success, Munster finally, they make the second final. They've lost to Northampton in 2000 uh, by a point. Uh, they make the final. They've, they've uh, uh, finally got there. And, you know, I mean, uh, Leicester won, I think, was at uh, 15-9, six points. And then you had all the rubbish around the Neil Back scenario that time. But, Looking at it coldly, as I would have done at the time, Leicester were way better on the day. I think should have won by more than the the six points that they did. I mean, what's your your memories of that final? Your 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 view on Munster going into it? Oh, I mean, we we had a strong respect for Munster. Not played them a lot previously. I remember play, we played them in a um, a friendly game. I think going into those European, that European final in the 2000 season, 1999-2000, I think we played you in a friendly at Welford Road because you were going into the final. I remember playing against Keith in the claw at Welford Road. Um, but uh, we, we, we had a healthy respect for you guys. And I don't remember ever feeling we were more dominant than, than you in, in, in that final. I remember you coming back hard. I mean, the obvious, the obvious Neil back 
scrum. Let's not let's not sugar the plum here. I mean, we we all know what happened in, in retrospect, but you know that was on the back of intense comeback pressure. I just remember it being incredible atmosphere. That stadium with the roof shut, the millennium as it was back then, just the ringing atmosphere. It was such a hot day, intensity, and those. I just remember those finals. You just you're emotional, you're emotionally drained, you're physically drained, and your legs are just gone. I feel for the lads now. The game's so much more intense now, but I just think the emotional pressure on you, and then the relief afterwards was incredible, incredible. Yeah, I mean, and that's exactly what it was. Relief, and ironically, given all the success you had, it was Munster in Welford Road who uh, who beat you in the quarter final in two thousand and three. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I checked. You you weren't missing that day. Perry Freshwater was loose head. Were you, were you on your holidays or something or what? I, I was away with the fairies. The week before, we beat you at Lansdowne Road in the Grand Slam decider. Was that the Martin Johnson day? The Martin, yes, before the yeah. game. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with the red carpet. I mean, there's another story. I mean, I, I'm stood next to Martin as that's unfolded. That is comical looking back. But it kind of set the tone. It set the tone of us that day. Now we we beat we beat Ireland the week before, and I got concussed. Malcolm Kelly kneed me right in the forehead just before half time, and uh, I got I got a bad concussion, uh, which meant I I went to a tackle and I hurt my knee. I didn't realise for a long time, but I had concussion and a sore knee, so I didn't play in that game at Welford Road. But I was at the stadium. Famously, we could not believe how many fans he brought over. It was like yeah. playing Poland. It's like playing well, Mon- Yeah, well, Mon- Munster fans have this incredible way of being able mm-hmm. to kind of infiltrate the ticket system of every club, be it in France or England, and they obviously to end up with twice as many tickets as they're supposed to have. But I mean, that was a phenomenal day. Like I remember, like Ben Kay and and Jano, who would have been in the England second row, that, that go on to win the World Cup. You had a young Paul O'Connell and Donico Callaghan playing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a, a phenomenal day from a Munster perspective, given the success that she had had in the five years. And of course, they lost to Wasps in a famous semi-final in Dublin after that game. Um, so, uh, but it's, you know, it's, it, it's amazing, I think, and, and maybe the same with yourselves. And Munster eventually won the, the Heineken Cup in 2006, beating Biarritz. It meant so much more to them then because of the pain that they went through, which was obviously similar with yourselves with that Stade Francais holding. Absolutely. I mean, it still is, it still is uh, the, the tournament, isn't it? It's, it's the, one of the most prestigious tournaments to win as mm. a club. And certainly that's the way we view it. Just expanding then from the Tigers, if you like, an incredible uh, career with England, but I have to maybe go back and, and, and touch an Irvin away. 2003, uh, firstly, that tour in the summer, England go to New Zealand and Australia. And just, uh, you know, you beat New Zealand in Wellington. And just to, to paint the picture for our listeners, that famous scrum, I'm sure as a scrum coach, and, you know, when you wake, when you're looking at the ceiling at night, uh, how many times does your head go back to that one scrum against New Zealand? As I say, I want to paint a picture for the listeners in that, for those who, who don't remember. England, Neil Back had been sent to the bin. Uh, Lawrence Delalio, I think, gave away a penalty to, to kind of save what possibly would have been a New Zealand try under the sticks. So you're defending a five-metre scrum, 
six forwards against eight, mm. New Zealand piling on the pressure, and you end up, you, you, you win the scrum. I'm not sure was it was a penalty, but it was one of the greatest lines I've ever heard after the game. Jono has been interviewed by one of the British press, and they talk about that scrum because it was obviously the key moment in the game. And they ask him, well, Jono, what was going through your head at that time? And he looked at the press guy. He said, "My fucking spine." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, talk us through that scrum: six against eight, defending five meters against the All Blacks well, in it was Wellington. A, it was hell of a game. Um, hell of a game. Obviously, we went down with a, with some momentum. We played uh, we played um, the Maoris as well in a warm up game uh, going into it. And Carlos had bombed a try early on. Let's not get away from that. Um, but no, in, incredible. Um, just incredible. We had Phil Vickery come off the bench. He was at tight end. Jason Leonard went off. I was at loose head. I'd say I didn't do much else. Looking back in the game, we didn't do much else apart from that we dug in in, in that key scrum. But no, momentous, momentous occasion. Uh, then we went on and played and beat Australia in, in uh, Melbourne the week after, which kind of teed us up for the World Cup without me. <laughs> But, you know, but that's that. I suppose that's what I've alluded to. I mean, I checked it out. You, you played in the World Cup warm up against France, which I'm guessing was probably the week before the squad was announced. It literally was the week before. Look, I, I, I played a lot of games. I, I played a lot of games leading up between 2000 and 2003. Played a lot of games, but um, I played a lot of those. If I'm honest now, looking back as a coach as well. I played a lot of those games when there was a certain prop who was injured, you know, Trevor Woodman, who back then, similar to Tom Smith in the 97 Lions, the way he changed the game with his ball carrying, etc. Trevor Woodman was changing the way propping was being played. Um, and he was injured for a lot. So I got a lot of caps leading into the World Cup on the back of him being injured. And of course, going into the World Cup, he wasn't injured. And, um, you know, I lost out. I lost out that there was talking me going but then I was left out the last minute I look back on it now rationally as a coach it was the right decision it was the right decision and I, 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 you know I'm at, I'm at rest with that now yeah but it, it, it must have been it, yeah it must have been incredibly <laughs> difficult you know you're looking at John one of your closest mates you're talking about him being in the academy or whatever as young fellas in Leicester he's now captain of England he's captain the Lions twice at that stage he's lifting the Webb Ellis trophy and you're you're watching at home with your Australian jersey on under your tracksuit. <laughs> you know what? I watched it in the morning and myself and Austin Healy uh, were in a similar position. We were both left out late and uh, we watched it at, at home. And uh, as an Englishman and as a mate to those guys, I was proud of them and quite emotional. And we had to get on a bus. We had to get on a bus and go and play at Rotherham. We played Rotherham, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I remember we sat in the dressing room just before the game thinking great <laughs> this wasn't the plan for this day we weren't meant to yeah. be here but no honestly honestly I look back at it yeah I'm alright with it now it was the right decision yeah. it actually probably spurred me on I mean I got a lot of caps um, mm. I didn't well, I was just a, I was just about to go to that. I mean, you're you're a model in terms of resilience because you know in 2004 you win your place back for the Six Nations. I think you won another nine caps and you went on the 2005 yeah. Lions tour. So yeah. you know it could have killed you or cured you. Obviously, 
like from your own personal point of view to to get back in there and you know just maybe prove to yourself if not to Clive Woodward that you know you still had something to offer absolutely yeah it, it, it strengthened my uh, desire to get back in but um, no that wasn't the, wasn't the best time in my life <laughs> that but when, uh, funny you, you you've mentioned about your coaching and you know I've, I've had several conversations with guys like uh, Ronan O'Gara since I remember we left Raj out of a World Cup squad in 99 he was uh, a young guy in behind Eric Elwood and David Humphreys and I remember explaining to him at the time look if we're in a quarterfinals of a World Cup and you want a 10 like and we have an injury you're not the guy to fill that position he argued from with me for years afterwards until at towards the end of his career of course when he was coming under pressure for a young Paddy Jackson or whoever it was at the time, he kind of said to me, I kind of get where you're coming from. No experience, it does hold for a lot. Um, But in terms of that experience, how has it influenced you as a coach now on the other side of making those decisions and maybe communicating those decisions to players? I think I understand disappointment. Uh, I understand resilience and... um, and I think I can I can resonate with a lot of players and what they're going through. You know, I've, I've experienced a lot played in the amateur era where we wouldn't eat a thing after a game till one o'clock in the morning and that'd be a burger van outside a nightclub. Whereas now you get weighed in and out of a game and you've got to go to a sponsor's box and you get fed in the changing room and it's very professional, as it should be. And so I've spanned the amateur and the pro era and I've had highs and lows in the game. I'd like to think... I have a good understanding of disappointment and how to deal with things with players because I've pretty much been through it all in my coaching career as well. When I was sacked by England, along with Andy, Stuart Lancaster, Mike Cat, we were sacked after 2015. Mm. But, but Don't worry, we'll get to that. <laughs> oh, great, great. Right. Tear that scab off later, is it? Um, but um, no, I think I'm stronger for it. you just got to keep learning. Keep learning, but the, the memory and how you dealt with those experiences, I think the more you can pass that on to people, the better. Yeah, and I think, look, to be fair, we all know the older we get, and I keep saying it to younger players, look, I mean, you have to go through a lot of pain at times, and it makes the success all the greater when it arrives. Um, like, uh, you have far more disappointments than than victories in sport, and, and that's the way it works out. But um, when you, yeah, I mean, your coaching career, I mean, just listening to you, when I think about it now, you're talking about uh, Dean Richards and John Wells transitioning straight away from being a player in Leicester into the coaching side. You did exactly the same. I mean, I think you retired in, in around 07 mm. and went straight into Le- Leicester as the scrum coach. So the club, the, the club retired me. Um, he said, uh, we'd like to carry on in a player-coach role, but we'd sign, we'd sign Marcus Ayesa, Martin Castro-Giovanni. We're just a different level physically and, and skill-wise to me. So I, I spent a year kind of, I still trained a bit with the lads, but I looked after the academy. And the, the second team helped, I was assisting Richard Cockrell. But I knew I, I loved coaching. I knew the minute I got into coaching, I wanted a coach. So I spent a year doing that. But my first proper coaching role as, as such, I, I got a job with the rugby union as a as an academy coach. And my first role, I was seconded as a scrum coach for the 2007 World Cup with England in, in France. Crikey, there's an experience. Um, but I was lucky 
to land on my feet with Leicester looked after me, gave me a nice job there, good role there. But then I, I took a role with the RFU in 2007 and I stayed there till 2015 in, in various roles, but worked with some great people. But you've got to take your look when a break comes, an opportunity to work with good people. And that's that's what happened to me. I just worked and learned off a lot of good coaches. Yeah, and it's, um, I mean, you ended up being... Uh, the scrum coach for the Lions in 09, four years after you went on the tour to New Zealand. Uh, uh, there isn't many guys who, and, and I presume without checking, there would have been like the likes of Paul O'Connell, there would have been a lot of crossover and players from other countries who were on 05, who continued in 09 as a, a, in a playing capacity. And yet you were there on the coaching side. I mean, again, how challenging was that? Um, I, th- I think that's, that's just a challenge with coaching. When you start coach players you've played with, You've got to have an honesty and an understanding. Uh, and the more brutally honest with those guys you are, the more they respect you. Like no one gets a pass just because you've played with them or no one gets a pass just because they're a big name. I think when you get over that boundary, they'll respect you. It, all players want is honesty. Just yeah. honesty. Brutal honesty. And that, that's what you've got to learn when you transition from being their mate to their coach. you just got to say, right, you're not doing this. You're my mate, but I've got to tell you, we're not playing you because of this. In 07, with England, uh, George Shooter uh, was one of the hookers. I played with George Shooter for Leicester. No, a year before, we're playing European games together. Um, and I'm telling him we're not picking him. We're picking a guy called Mark Regan because we felt he was better in a set piece and gave us a bit more experience. And <laughs> I mean, George didn't get on for a couple of days, but eventually... He said, yeah, I appreciate the feedback. I appreciate the honesty. you just got to get over yeah. that. But in 09, there was like some Geth, uh, Geth and Jenkins who I'd played with on the lines in 05. Uh, Corley, of course, and a few others who I can't remember off the top of my head. Donica would have been on both of them, yeah. Donica oh, yeah, yeah. and, and Raj was on it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Raj was on that, on that line. <laughs> Definitely yeah. on that line. So, uh, <laughs> no, I... I count myself very lucky being given such a, an early taste of the absolute yeah. big one of test pressure, and that's the Lions. And 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 sort of going, um, you know, from from one to the other. I mean, that I've been at a lot of games over my both playing and, and management and the whole lot. That second test in Loftus Pretoria, uh, it stands out. I mean, I don't I don't often watch old games, but there was some of the Lions stuff has been repeated there over the mm-hmm. lockdown. Yeah, and I, I specifically. I taped, I taped that game. I mean, uh, second test in, in Loftus. I mean, you were in trouble big time in the, in the first test. Mm. Got back in the, the last 20 minutes to the degree where you felt, well, look, we have a fighting chance here. And, mm. you know, we all know an alliance, it takes you a while to get the right team. And, you know, you, you can be lucky in alliance tour, as you know. You might play in the right match or the wrong match in the opening two or three weeks of the tour. If you played in the wrong game and you got it thumping, well, all of a sudden, you're down the pecking order. Mm. Um, so getting that selection is always the biggest challenge. But that second test, the physicality of that game was just on another level. I don't think I've seen a test to match it even since from that point of view. No, no it was incredibly intense. And we were in the game, but then we lost both props. Yeah. So we, we, the dressing room became like a mash unit. We lost both props. And uh, that, that, their bench, I never forget the size of their guys coming off the bench. But we... We dug in there, didn't we? Right to the last minute. We, we all know what happened at the end there. But I just remember afterwards in the dressing room, grown men crying. Just crying. The sheer 
disbelief and disappointment and everything that we've poured into the game. But no, what a game. What a game. Yeah, and again, as I say, I, 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 I don't look back on those things, but in part of that 09 tour, I mean, I hadn't seen it before. Uh, like I, I know Ian McGeek, and I was on with in '89. We were in Australia when he was his coach, and you know I was a selector in '97, so I'd worked very closely with him. But that moment, I think, was it before the third test? His last yeah. team talk in the third test, and you seem to have got isolated from the other management, and he breaks down, and you're there, and you know, obviously, age-wise, there's a, a, a fair difference. He would have had you. As a, he was on the, the the coaching team in '05 in mm. in New Zealand. Uh, it was an unbelievably. I hadn't seen that before. Now knowing just how special the Lions is to McGeekin, it kind of really brought it home to me. But I mean, it must have been a, a really poignant moment for you to be there, and you're the one that he's left with, and he breaks down in front of you. So I, yeah, it was. I remember it perfectly. Like I'd got to know Geach. Uh, from his time at Northampton and Northampton Leicester battles. I had a few chats with him then. Of course, worked with him on the 97 lines and, and, and 05, as you said, and got a real affinity. I love, I love his manner, his calmness, warmth around him, but he's not soft, not soft. And obviously worked for him in 09. He, he gave me that shot in 09 to be an assistant coach. And it was his last game as a Lions coach. He knew that. He knew that. He gave the, the team talk before we went and played a famous, famous victory uh, at Ellis Park. And it, he gave his talk. Then everyone just buggered off. And I, I found myself. Come on, just getting on the buses. Two buses. I found myself last out of the room. And I just heard something. What's that? It's Geach. He's sobbing in the corner. I'm not going to leave him here, am I? I mean... And I went and just consoled him, and he was beside himself. Mm. Um, no, it was a poignant moment. But for, I instantly welled up and just um, mm. helped him onto the helped him onto the bus. Yeah, no, I think look because again, obviously, when you know him and you've seen him in that Lions operation, it just encapsulated what the Lions means to him. You know, I I, I thought it was a lovely moment, but I, I it must have felt a little bit awkward for you looking at it. Um, it's difficult, but what you know, what can you do? You... I, I, I didn't feel awkward. I just yeah. felt rough for the bloke. Because yeah. his speeches, he'll tell, he'll tell you how what the Lions means to him, but more importantly, what it means to you and what it will mean to you forever as a Lion. He's good at he's good at painting that picture with you. Mm. But no, no um, I didn't feel awkward. I just mm. felt for him. Mm. No, it was, as I say, a, a, a special moment. You, you mentioned that, obviously, you were with England and with Jano in, in 2011 in New Zealand, uh, the World Cup in 2015. I mean, that's the one, obviously, we know because of, of Stuart Lancaster, yourself, it's ironic, Mike Cat, um, Andy Farrell, everybody. I, I don't know why Ireland are sort of welcoming you all in here with open arms, let's come on in, we look after you. I was at that Ireland, the, the England-Wales game, which was the pivotal game in that pool in 2015. And I often think, you know, as coaches, and I know myself from my own time, if you had a moment that you could go back and change something. I mean, that, that penalty decision, Chris Robshaw against Wales. Yeah. Is that the moment? As it turns out, yeah. But we, we developed enough leadership. In, I mean, you compare the cap count of that team compared to, to now, it was very low. But we, we 
got a leadership group who we trusted to make decisions. And I'd say when you've got a stadium, it was jumping the support that day. Everyone knew the importance of that game. That, 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 that game. When you've got a stadium baying and wanting you to win, go for the win. It's a difficult decision to go for the posts for the draw mm. instead of going for the corner. Mm. That's, that's famously what Chris mm. did. I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing. We all know what the mm. correct decision was yeah. in hindsight. But in the heat of the battle, that's what that leadership group did. And we all yeah. know what no, I mean, it was a crazy because I remember the game well. Half time, I was at a, a great chap with Paul Ackford who would have played in the 99 final for England, or sorry, 91 against Australia. And uh, England were home and hosed. Like, we couldn't, couldn't see the, that game going any other way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's amazing, you know, when you look back, one small incident. I mean, just again, for the listener's perspective, a draw for England would have put them through to the quarterfinal because I think you had Uruguay in your last match that you were always going to win. We still had Australia to play, but as it turned out, All right. the, yeah. draw, the, draw, the draw would have been enough. And yeah, it's, I'll never forget the feeling, that sinking, sinking feeling, sat in the stand. Yeah, yeah. But in, in, in some respects, you know, things happen for a reason. And I always remember I've had long conversations with Warren Gatland when he was left go from Ireland and in uh, 2002 and he ended up going to Wasps and how that changed his t- trajectory uh, had he stayed with Ireland who knows would he have ever captained or coached the Lions or whatever so I mean things happen with you obviously I, I think you went on to Harlequins hmm. uh, and then you went to Georgia I mean talking yeah. about going from one extreme to the other uh, t- tell us what it's like coaching Georgia after coaching England for eight or nine years so I left I was let go by England just before Christmas 2015. And obviously Stuart, Eddie came in for Stuart and Stuart wanted to bring his own crew in. I got no problem with that. Fair enough, fair enough. And then uh, I was always got on well with John Kingston at Harlequins and he got the head coach role and brought me in as a forwards coach at Harlequins. I had two great years there, two great years, great club. You're actually doing very well at the moment. Um, made some good friends there. Um, then I did a year with Georgia. I found myself, I was approached about this Georgia role. And it, what it meant was, I mean, I didn't have to move over there as such. And I could go in and out for their autumn series. And they play the Shadow Six Nations called the Rugby Europe Championship. And, uh, and I obviously had a World Cup. So I was agreed. I'd just, just come and do this job for a year. I loved it. Yeah. Very different. Is it, is it the golden ticket for a scrum coach Everyone says to go that. to Georgia? <laughs> Everyone says that. Is that sort of, a mate says, what, what, that's like what t- teaching a fish how to swim, is it? As a scrum coach <laughs> for Georgia. Um, but no, and it, what it did, it involved, because a lot of the forwards playing the, the pro 14, uh, sorry, the, the top 14 in France. So I was in and out of France looking at players and seeing different environments. And a lot of the, the forwards, they all spoke perfect English. You know, a lot of the Jordans speak five languages. And um, no, they're, they're a really warm race. And Tbilisi is an incredible place to visit in Georgia. Real contemporary city. Good nightlife, uh, great wine. Crikey, I, I tried most of the wine that they produced. Um, and I had, a, I had a good year with them, which culminated in a, in, in a World Cup. We lost to Fiji, disappointingly, in the World Cup, which would have gave us automatic qualification for the next World Cup. But yeah. I think Fiji showed in that tournament, they, they're just incredible. They were lightning, oh. their backline. 
they had a lightning. We stayed with them till about the last 15 minutes, but they just, they just tore us. Tore but they, us well, they, they, they could have beaten Australia in their pool game, uh, <laughs> Fiji. So it's, it, well, you probably have a better insight than most. Then I mean, the perennial debate that goes around the, the Six Nations, the Italians losing 30 games in a row, should there be relegation, promotion? Like Georgia, where would you see them uh, in the context of a Six Nations? I ask this a lot. I'd, I'd hate Georgia to be regularly going to Twickenham, going to the Aviva, going to Principality and getting beat and getting beat heavily. I mean, Georgia has its own professional league, uh, the Diddy 10 league, but most of their players play in France, but not, not all of their players play a high enough standard week, week out. That would mean that they could go and consistently play well away from home in Six Nations. I'd, I'd hate for them, knowing the, the, them as a people and as players, I'd hate for them just to be consistently mm. getting beat and people so saying, isn't oh, it, isn't it, in there. Yeah, but isn't that what's happening in Italy? That's, maybe, maybe. Uh, but um, having been involved with Georgia, I'd hate that to be them. Yeah. But I, I think potentially there should be a consideration as to how these Tier 2 uh, teams play against tier one more often and potentially whether, you know, if, they, if they're winning on a consistent basis, they should get access to a relegation or promotion battle for the Six Nations. Yeah, it's a difficult one. And to be fair, George, I mean, they they, um, they acquitted themselves quite well against Ireland in the, the Nations Cup. Um, yes. Certainly, you know, turned up that day. So, uh, look, it's a debate that's going to go on and on. I'm delighted to hear that Tbilisi is is almost as good as Rome, so uh, it mightn't be the greatest disaster. <laughs> but no, no, I think I think as a as a race, as a country, so not as a race, as a country, they deserve more tier two, tier one uh, games. Uh, you know, if I was taking a tier one team down down under, I'd stop in Georgia for a week, play two two games against them, they even have two training mm. sessions. We famously had a, a tough training session against England. Uh, two years ago, um, I, I think they would really blossom with more access to Tier 1 games. We played Scotland pre-World Cup, home and away, and they were good games. Yeah, yeah, no, I remember them. It is, look, it's it's a challenge for the authorities, but it's the same thing in the Southern Hemisphere with the likes of Fiji, Tonga, Samoa. Yep. You know, how do they bring them up? Um, I suppose then, you know, going uh, going from Georgia, the opportunity arises in Munster. Um I, I, geez, I was actually surprised when I looked. You're, you're 15 months in Munster now. Um, yeah. Obviously, it's been challenging because of, of the pandemic as much as anything else. But, you know, your, your perception of Munster before you came in and the reality 15 months down the road, um, where is it? Exactly the same. It, um, it's lived up to my perception, the, the reality, the warmth of the people. Um, the intensity of the of the rugby in the city, the love of the rugby, and the lads. The lads are great to work with. Some of the best lads I've worked with, just for humility, want to get better, and they'll do whatever you tell them. Just want to get better. Um, I wouldn't mind less rain, if I'm honest with you. Looking outside <laughs> now, and it's horizontal. The rain, um, even more than Leicester, even more than Leicester. Yeah, I, I'd have to say. I, um, but no, I, I, I truly love it here, and that just the warmth of the place. Um, yeah, and it came about, I mean, I, I've known Johan 
for eight years, at least eight years, because we coached against each other when he was with the Springboks and I was with England. We got kept in touch. We speak after games. Then out of the blue, it'd be May 2019. Um, I had a call from him saying, you're free for a conversation tomorrow. You know, what are you doing? And I didn't have anything at, at that time. I, I was finishing with Georgia after the World Cup. And the next thing I knew, I was flying into Shannon on the quiet. <laughs> it's difficult when you look like me. Um, Don't worry, we, we were aware in Cork about 20 minutes after you got <laughs> Well, I flew home from Cork that, that night as well. So uh, uh, before I knew what, I was meeting Johan um, at the HPC here and um, having a good chat. And then, yeah, did the deal. I love it. Um, love it. Yeah, and is it is it sort of more pressure coming in as forwards coach when you're coming into um, I suppose a historic setup where like forward play has been has always been traditionally monsters, uh, you know, set piece, a competitive forward unit. Like, does that add more expectation for somebody like yourself coming in? Um, potentially, but it's what I love. It's, it's what I know. It's how I was brought up in the environment we spoke about earlier. Very fortunate to work with some great forwards with England and the Lions and different coaches. So now I was um, truly honoured to get the opportunity to come to such a prestigious, famous, it's a super club, isn't it? It's a super club. And just, I mean, well, obviously it's a bit disappointing for you. I mean, there was some European games where you had your 26,000 people in Thoman Park and they are special days. I mean, that's, I mean, the, the, the biggest regret when I heard the draw the other day, Toulouse, and this is Toulouse back to their best. The fact that there'll be nobody in Thomond Park, it does take from occasions like that. But obviously you would have known the, you know, the, the internationals within the, the, the Munster setup. And from a, a props perspective, you know, you had Dave Kilcoyne, James Cronin, experienced loose heads, Stephen Archer, John Ryan, experienced tight heads. But sort of the, the group of young men behind them, the Liam O'Connors, Caelan Knox, uh, Josh Witcherly, um, did their sort of did Munster have more depth than you thought? I mean, there's all there's been talk for years, and you know, different demographics in Leinster because of their school system, the amount of A schools they have, the quality of young players they have coming through. There's always been pressure on the the Munster Academy and trying to replicate what Leinster do. And I keep trying to explain to people: look, clubs from all over the world come to Dublin to try and see how can they replicate what Leinster have, but. You can't start 15 schools overnight and, and think that they can produce the quality that Leinster has. But, you know, the quality of younger players within Munster, did that surprise you? So it took me a while to get to know the squad and uh, the, the academy system. And of course, until a year ago, a lot of our academy lads were playing AIL on a Friday or a Saturday or a Sunday, and you're getting lots of game time. So I was sitting down looking at their AIL games, as well as training footage. They were getting a lot of rugby. And of course, because of COVID and the pandemic, there being no rugby. So you've had a group of lads who, when we came back and trained initially last July from lockdown, well, in lockdown, they were in their own little bubble at Toman Park training on their own and doing this incredibly tough work. Then they came into our setup. In September, so they've been training with us, just full-time training with us competitively every day, training against our senior guys, working with us coaches, and they've come on. They've come on. You could name a whole a whole handful of guys. I mean, you think the, the most famous 
performance would be Josh Witchley in Claremont against Slomani, one of the best tight end props ever to play in France. But Hodnett, Daly, O'Sullivan, um, they've all come through. They've all got Thomas Ahern, they've all come through. Akina Knox, because they're playing and training with us more often. I firmly believe that they've been pulled along by this squad. Then we've been given guys chances. And what the other young lads have seen is when we've given guys chances and they've really performed, like Gavin Coombs, the standout character. I can't believe I mentioned him last. So <laughs> he has enough bloody praise as it is anyway. Mm. But the other lads see Gavin Coombs getting picked and playing well. And that tells them, Craig, if I take my chance, they're going to stick with me. So that then pulls all the other young lads along. Mm. Then you've got the, the older lads looking down going, Crikey, we better play better here. So yeah. the whole dynamic is really pushed everything forward. But I can't, I can't speak highly enough about those young guys. There's just a diligence. They're there, sat next to me in the coach's office, socially distanced, saying, right, what do I do better? Let's look at me game. Let's look at training. What, what can I do better? That's what's pulled the club along, is the young lads. Yeah. And I think, to be fair, I mean, it's, it's the final step. I mean, no doubt. We've heard it so many times. 2011, since Munster last, last won a, a tournament, they've been semi-finalists and finalists in, on two occasions at the Pro 14. Um, and, of course, they're there again now. So the pressure is going to be ratcheting up. Uh, Leinster uh, doesn't seem to matter who they put out. They, they perform week in, week out. Uh, they've played Munster already three times since last August. I know half of them were in last season and half of them so, I mean, the, that, that final coming up, it's going to be a huge day out for Munster, uh, a huge opportunity, but uh, a difficult challenge. Of course, it's always difficult against Leinster. The last four times, we've played them four times since I've been here, and we've lost, but by a few points. It's almost like we run out of time at the end of the game. We're, that's, that, I'd say that about our performances this year. We're always in it till the death. Um, but no, we we know them more than any other team we play against, and that that one that one at Tomond in January that was hard to take because we'd done so much good for so long. But it just shows you a couple of errors, and they're at you. They're at you. The pace at which they can jump back at you, the pace at which they can play the game. Very good breakdown, very good set piece, like many teams. But um, I think you saw. The depth of their squad on Saturday, they went up to, to Ulster without their internationals and, and racked up a big scoreline. But we, we know them inside out now. But um, we're ready for this one. Yeah, and it, it'll be an interesting dynamic because, uh, I mean, I could see Lancaster saying to a lot of those guys, given they left Toulon, he could well turn around to the pack that played in Ulster and say, right, lads, I'm, I'm entrusting you with this, mm. this final. Um, so... In some respects, does that put even more pressure on Munster, given that, uh, you know, they're leaving out the likes, you know, they could leave, leave out the, the the Porters, the Kean Healy's, these guys. Mm, but, but, yeah, it, it, that shows their strength. But I look at our performances as well, and we could quite easily be in the same situation. Mm. Some of our pack performances, you could say, well, how are we going to leave him out? And who are you going to leave Gavin Coombs out for? Yeah, yeah. You know, James Cronin, for example, and you know, you know, we we we'll have the same dilemmas with the guys coming back. They don't automatically just walk into the team. Yeah, well, I think you know, you mentioned the Josh Witcherly one. I mean, I've followed that young lad since 
since the Irish 20s. And uh, you know yourself, when you look at a guy, there's a bit of a dog in him. There's a guy who doesn't give up. And particularly from a scrummaging perspective, mm. you know, the guys that I would always respect, the fellas who were in trouble early on, and they find a way to solve the issue. And when that first scrum against Sleman, I mean, as a fella, as a as a debutant European prop, ever had a more embarrassing scrum than that first one that he had, and to recover to the point that he did, just it kind of reinforced everything that I thought about this young fella for the past number of years. Mm. Uh, but that must have been a, a a special moment for you to see the way he fought back. I mean, that represents something. Yeah, he had. It was like he had a whole season, sorry, a whole career in one game yeah. of learnings, adversity, learnings, adversity, learning, learning, learning. Oh, oh, oh. And his, his performance just went through the roof. You know, at the end of the game, we we put ourselves into the corner for two more tries off the back of scrum penalties through him. Um, no, it was, <laughs> it was some, uh, some debut. Some debut. I'll never forget his face at half time. Look at he sat down. Looking at me. Like, not doing anything different because you worked it out. You have solved yeah. the problem. Don't, don't do anything different. Yeah, well, I remember. I mean, I was thinking that first scrum and my mind flashed back 2010. Kean Healy, for whatever reason, Leinster started Kean Healy in a, I think it was a quarter final or semi final against Toulouse in Toulouse. And he got absolutely smashed. And he was taken off about 25 minutes in and he sat on the bench with a hoodie on. I mean, Van der Linde, remember a South African yeah, who said, yeah. he was on the bench. I think Leinster made a mistake that day. They should have started Van der Linde and maybe brought Kean on. But, uh, you know, I, 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 I can just still see Kean Healy, who's now the most capped prop in Irish rugby history, with the hoodie, drowned over his head. And, you know, he probably thought that was the end of his career. So young props, as you know better than, than anyone. They all go through a day where you get a milli. Um, but uh, Witcherly's response, I think, encapsulated Munster's mm. effort that day. And, and, you know, to end up winning the game, I think, could be a, a seminal moment in terms of where Munster go from here on in. Um, I'd have to say, and, and there, was a, there was a composure in the dressing room at half-time, because although we conceded those tries and they bonus pointed in 29 minutes, I think it was, we were still doing things well, and we could still we were still getting footholds in the game. And it was a question of keep doing what we're doing, stick to our guns, mm. stick to the plan. We kept taking points, kept that call, that scoreboard closer, brought that scoreboard closer and closer. JJ was fantastic off the tee, off the tee that day. Now uh, a famous performance, famous performance. Yeah, well, I think uh, one of the I was talking to one of the monster forwards since that day, and he he said to me we were talking about Gavin Coombs, who you've mentioned, who's obviously had a sort of a whirlwind season. But apparently, uh, Gavin Coombs turned around to him after about twenty minutes. I think he'd been put on his arse by Yato or yeah, one or yeah. two of the of the Claremont back rows. He turned around to somebody, and he just said, "Well, that's it. That's the end of me, anyway." <laughs> As if his career was over. So. Uh, the, the, these things happen. But look, fi- finally, Graham, uh, you know, we'll see, hopefully, we'll see how the Pro 14 final works out. Then there's Toulouse and Thomond Park. Uh, and this is, you know, Munster have played Toulouse. You're probably picking up in the history of the recent years. Munster have beaten them pretty well in two quarterfinals over the past number of years. But this is a different Toulouse. This is Toulouse back to the, the teams that you would have known in the, in the noughties. You look at the quality, I mean, Front row alone, you've settled by. 
you have Marchand, the French hooker, mm. and you have uh, 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 Famuina, the, the, the New Zealand tight end. Um, Dupont, scrum half, Colby. I mean, it's an embarrassment to riches. Uh, but look, it's it's this is the challenge. This is Europe. And to be fair to EPCR, I think given the um, the disruption of the tournament, I think they've handled it quite well. Uh, but that must be a game, you know, to have that, regardless of what happens in the Pro 14 final, to get your teeth into Toulouse and Dublin Park. As a heavyweight of Europe, crikey, we had some ding-dongs with them. Back in the 90s, I remember we played them in a semi-final at Welford Road. They had Calif- Califano, Landro, Tournair. Tournair, who then, who then were changing propping as well. They were a right handful back then. I have a strong affiliation with, with Toulouse, similar to Munster. You know, just another superpower. Yeah, well, if you're going to win, you've got to beat the big teams along the way somewhere, haven't you? And uh, I think it'd be great for us. It'll be a challenge that Crikey will be up for that. But as an old Leicester pragmatist, one week at a time, one week at a time. Absolutely. Well, look, uh, you know, I'm sure I speak for everyone when I say we're really looking forward to those contests, to have these, you know, the Six Nations. Obviously, from a sports perspective, people are starved because they can't go to matches. They're relying so much on watching it on the telly. So, you know, to have those games of those qualities coming up after the Six Nations, I'm sure everybody will be massively tuned into it. Uh, can I just thank you for your interaction and your? you've been absolutely superb to talk to. Um you know, as you say, they all, the, the pubs have been closed, but, you know, I'd love to continue our conversation over a pint of Murphy's or Guinness at some stage in the future. Guinness. Guinness. Uh, yeah. I'm a corkman. Yeah, I know. I never realised. I never realised the, the whole difference. Now, Guinness for me, please. And I'll, I'll hold you. Yeah. I'll hold you. That, great stuff. Thanks a million, Graham. My best pleasure. of luck in those games. My pleasure. Cheers. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 